Okay. Welcome to Build Value by Choice, the weekly podcast show where we explore the strategies and tactics to help business owners achieve transformational growth from a variety of perspectives. I am your host, Nana Bonso, and today we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Larry Keiko. Uh, Larry is a multi-serial um, uh, entrepreneur. He's a multi-talented serial entrepreneur, architect, builder, lecturer, and podcaster. He has a diverse background in architecture, construction, real estate development, and is the co-founder and partner of F9 Productions Incorporated, which is a widely successful design and build development firm based in Longmont, Colorado, specializing in single-family, multi-family, residential, and commercial projects. Welcome to Build Value by Choice, uh, Lance. Thanks, Nana. And uh, just just so everybody knows, it's actually Lance Psycho. Lance Psycho. I'm I'm sorry. It's That's uh, all right. I was I was uh, I, I whiffed on that one. No uh, yeah, you actually um, you have a family of six, uh, you know, with your wife Marilyn. So clearly, uh, Colorado is uh, is in your bones. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about? Um, you know, like about your background and how you uh, basically, you know, fell into architecture, construction, and real estate development. Sure, sure. Happy to. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 40 years old as the at, at the time of this recording. And my journey starts way back when I was 13. Uh, so I grew up in Northwest North Dakota, which is a very rural part of the country between a sugar beet farm and a cattle ranch. And I tried working on the sugar beet farm one summer with my family, my dad, who I didn't get along with really well at that time. And I hated it. Uh, if anybody's ever been to that part of the country during the summer, it is hot, it is humid, and the mosquitoes are thicker than I think anywhere else. And so trying to irrigate those sugar beets was just a disaster, not only because I wasn't really getting along with dad, but because of those mosquitoes and the crazy hours and everything. So I got fed up with it. And one night I told him, hey, I probably want to last about a week. And one night I told him, hey, I, this isn't for me. This seems like it's very difficult for both of us. What if I called up your best friend, Bruce, who was a general contractor? And I went to work for him and he said, why don't you do that? So I called up Bruce and I said, hey, um, I'm tired of trying to irrigate these sugar beets with my dad. Do you got any work? I, I will do anything. I've always been interested in construction. He said, you know what? As a matter of fact, we just landed 80 houses that we're going to uh, take off and put on new roofs throughout the summer. And you can be my gopher. You can go for this. You can go for that. When you're done going for the stuff, then you can get up on the roof and learn how to roof. Well, I was the best dang gopher that he ever had. And that's where I really fell in love with the construction industry. So I love. How old were you then? 13. 13 years old. Wow. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would have to hitch a ride with one of his other workers in the same town to get to the other places, but it worked out really well. And I'd give him a little bit of gas money and stuff like that. And they really took me under their wing. So I just fell in love with the construction industry, the camaraderie, the hard work, uh, all of it, you know, seeing what you, seeing what you could get done in one day, actually seeing the product happen. And so what I, I just, I was in so in love with it. Then, then every summer between 18, uh, the, sorry, the age of 13 and 21, I would try to work a different trade of construction. So I would try to learn a different trade every single year, um, except for mechanical, electrical plumbing. So how to do foundations, framing, siding, windows, all, all that good stuff. Um, and then, uh, 18 came around, uh, year 18, age 18 came around, and I just I wasn't that great of a student in high school, simply because I don't think I had a lot of choice. I grew up in a town of only 500 people, graduated with 20, 
And when you're in that small of a school, you really can't pick what you're going to study. And as a person who really thrives when there's freedom, then um, I was not thriving. And so I was I graduated with like the lowest honors possible to even get honors. And but at the same time, it was like, well, like everybody else is going to school. I should probably go to school. Uh, I'm going to pick building construction technology. So I applied to North Dakota State School of Science in Wapaton. And went to school for two years there to get an associate's. And basically, they teach you in that program how to be a general contractor, because that was always one of my goals is I saw how much money Bruce was making. I saw how he was commanding all the labor and, and you know, making uh, more money than I grew up with. And I wanted to and do Bruce that. Is, Bruce is your dad's friend. Yes. Right. right. Yep. And so got to the end of my second year in Wapaton, and I had thrived in school for the very first time. Almost was a 4.0 student. It was, I think it was because I could pick what I wanted to do. And our capstone project at the end of that two-year stint was to build a house. And I got to looking at the blueprints, and I thought to myself, why did the architects make the decisions they did? For these blueprints, I, I'm really I'm a person who just seeks truth, and I, I really wanted to drill down on that. And I and I and then I the other thing I thought of was, well, I've I figured out how to excel in school now. I figured out actually how to monetize going to school. I'm part Native American. If you're Native American in this country at this point, you still have you have an insane amount of opportunity if you just apply yourself with uh, scholarships, tuition waivers, all all sorts of stuff like that. So I'd figured out how to actually make money going to school. Like I was paying for all my tuition with all the scholarships and everything. And then I was, I had enough money left over. I just could pay for it. And so then I just, I said, well, I, I want to, what if I became an architect too? Cause then I could draw it, then I could build it and make money twice. And so then I applied to North Dakota state university and got accepted into the program there for architecture. First it's 350 students that you get accepted into. Then it's competitive and they shrink it down to 50 in your second year. I got into the second year. And then excelled, graduated at the top of my class, uh, graduated number one and won the Peter F. McKinsey Award for the best thesis. And then um, couldn't find a job because it was the Great Recession. As, mm -hmm. So graduated during the worst possible time to find a job. But I, I like all of the, I've always leaned into like hard times and, and tried to make the best out of it. So I ended up finally getting an internship in the fall of 2008 um, in between graduating with, as an architect and getting that first job, I just went back home, lived with my mom and dad, got married um, for that summer and did contracting work again to kind of pay the bills until I could land that internship. Got what I think is one of the last internships in Colorado, lasted about nine months. Then the economy really took a tank, got laid off, and um, I wasn't about to go back to North Dakota. So what I did is knowing I was going to get laid off is I started making these models, uh, these three-dimensional architectural models online got noticed by a big company, landed a bunch of contract work, and then fell back on my handyman work and all the carpentry skills that I had to sort of fill the gap until I could start my own business. Started the business in 2010, about a decade before Alex and I thought we were going to. Um, we weren't even licensed at that point, so we had all kinds of restrictions on us of what we could even and call by the ourselves. Way, if I may suggest, Alex is your partner you know, for your FNAM production. So yes, Alex, yeah, Alex yeah. Al Gore is my business partner. Yep. Yeah. Uh, not the uh, former president, but just Al Gore by name. Right. Uh, so we started the firm and we started for about three years from 2010 to 2013, landed just enough work to kind of keep us fed, didn't really have any profit. And then we, uh, we and then in 2013, the economy started to pick up. And so what we, we did need to hire our first employee and we, we, the local university here is about 20 miles away in Boulder. It's University of Colorado Boulder. 
And we reached out to their architecture department, interviewed a bunch of their students who were graduating, and they just were not turnkey, what I would call turnkey. They were not able to just execute the work we needed them to do under our direction. And it was a software issue. Basically, they weren't being taught the kind of software that we really needed them to, to work with. And so we reached out to them, the university, and said, hey, we're experts in this software. If there's any opportunity for us to just help out and get your students up to speed, we'd love to do it. And they said, well, actually, your timing is perfect. We have an opening in the engineering department. We do have some students that cross over into that and take the, this course. It's exactly the software you're talking about. Would you be interested in teaching it? We said, sure. We took the course. And then that's what pushed us to actually hire our first employee. And since then, from 2013 to 2023, now it's been a decade of uh, solid growth. We've grown from a low seven figure, a six-figure earning firm to a seven-figure firm. Uh, we had 30% profit last year. Uh, we're at, we have seven architects um, on staff, including me and Alex. Uh, a headquarters is in Longmont. Our satellite office is in Denver. Um, and we're also um, up for even tonight. It's uh, So we're recording this on uh, April 12th. And we're uh, the firm's all headed down to Denver to hopefully we'll win the best of mile high, which puts us in the category of best architecture firm in Colorado because of our high customer service rating. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. That is awesome. That's a great journey. Wow. Thank you. In a sh this short period of time. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a very, I mean, uh, just a couple of, you know, nuggets in there in which, you know, in your journey that you just shared. One is you knew what you wanted to do early. You spent a, quite a bit of time in this. So you've already passed your 10,000 hours, right? Starting mm -hmm. from 13 to when, when you were. The opportunities came how they you know it's almost like a timing thing i've had a, a previous podcast you know, podcast you know guest um come on where we talked about you know timing and how that impacts entrepreneurship and business ownership where they the crisis the global financial crisis of 2008 you know while it may have been a bad time when you graduated it's still maybe your journey wouldn't have been the same mm -hmm. if it had been just Hey, there's an internship or you know some kind of regular job waiting for you. Uh, it forced you to number one, you know, you, you get that internship, but it forced you like rethink some things, right? And then the other thing is you utilize the internet had become a medium. If this had happened like maybe 40 years ago, you wouldn't have the internet to kind of put your own products out there where you put in our diagrams and somebody else from some different corner of the world notice you and all of a sudden, boom, 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 you get in contracts. How do you think all of that, all of those like, you know, interest in life principles kind of play into how lucky you, you've become? Yeah. And I, I, that's great observations. I'm so glad you're bringing up those points and you're helping, allowing me to emphasize them because I think they're super important and they could get glossed over as, so first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a believer in God and I believe in providence and I believe that God, uh, luck is all about Put, setting yourself up for success by being and, and capitalize on that on that luck. What it is to me is you uh, putting yourselves in in the kind of position to where you can capitalize on all of when all of those things come together, right? So uh, you're absolutely right. Like, how would we've even got our name out there if it wasn't for the internet? And one of the things about that is it was this beautiful circumstance of architects at that point were not and still now they've caught up a little bit but certainly even in 2010 they were not utilizing the internet 
in the capacity that I thought they could to try to find potential clients. They were afraid of advertising on it. Sure, they had a website up, but all of a sudden you had people like me and a, a, a millennial coming into it going like, look, I didn't grow up entirely on the internet, but I did, but I was, I am old enough to know when we transitioned, um, you know, starting with dial up and then going into ethernet and all of that and seeing, and then seeing like Amazon transition from a bookstore only to just everything's online and all of that and being okay with embracing all of that. And if we, so I think you're right. If we would, if we would have tried this 40 years ago, um, obviously we wouldn't have the internet to help us get our name out there and focus on those things because there's a, there's a lot of different interesting marketing ideas that we've pushed through the internet and social media that other architects still haven't done. And I don't think would have done 40 years ago. Um, for example, in 2012, there was, everybody knows about the the idea that the world was going to end in 2012 because of the Mayan calendar, right? There was all the doom and gloom stuff. And what, so what we did is we said, well, I think the media is going to be talking about this doom and gloom and Armageddon for the whole year. How could we capitalize on that with a, with a unique marketing idea in architecture? So we came up with doomsday dwellings. So we bought the domain name doomsdaydwellings.com and we, we ended up creating four different houses that can uh, survive an apocalypse. One of them is called uh, the Genesis house. It can go underneath the ground if there's a nuclear war. Another mm -hmm. one survives fire. Another one survives earthquakes. Another one survives floods. So all these cataclysmic stuff. Sure enough, we our prediction was right. We got noticed by local media and they ended up doing a seven page spread on us in the magazine called Modern in Denver. And the, to calculate what those fees would have cost, it would have been $15,000 that we didn't have because it was it was way back in the, you know, it was, it was 2012. We didn't have any money, any profit to even spend on marketing. And that landed us in, in a huge magazine um, just by us putting out the effort in the right time. And then we've gotten a ca cascade of clients from that publication. And there's a bunch of other examples I have too, like that, like Amazon HQ. When Jeff Bezos was looking to... Uh, design or, or create his uh, his second headquarters we made uh uh we came up with the idea of what what would it look like if amazon came to denver and so we did a bunch of renderings and examples and stuff like that and got pushed pushed that into the media still on our website this amazon hq we even got jeff bezos to open up our emails because we use some tracking software to do that and we obviously didn't get the Amazon commission, but what we did get is we got on Fox 31 Denver, we got on Denver 7, and we got in some local papers, and then we ended up getting architecture work for like townhomes and single family homes because people noticed us in that sort of way. Very interesting. So just definitely bringing an innovative kind of millennial kind of bent of things. So a couple of things. Well, I'd like to ask you, how do you guys just kind of sit down on the apple tree and, and ID it and come up with these novel things? What do you have like a process or is it just something that just kind of hits you and you just write it down? Yeah, it's sort of uh it's sort of Alex and I are um truthers. We seek the truth, we always look for the truth. So during all the COVID hysteria, we look for the truth. Um, you know, during you know, any other kind of a socio-political movement that sort of seems to take grip of society. Alex and I are always trying to drill down on what is the real truth that the media isn't telling us, right? Mm -hmm. And then we also try to look at trends in the future. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, like knowing about 2012, well, everybody had heard about that for a while, right? Everybody had, and then we'd, we just got, you know, whispers about the Amazon project. So it's, it's really just about having a keen ear and mm -hmm. eye, you know, on the ground, taking a look at it and then deciding. And then we always, you know, end up making a judgment call of like, is this something we should pursue and push out there? And so far our predictions have been correct. What criteria do you use to, do you have like uh, some kind of rubric that allow you to weigh which factors are way more than the other? So like, cause I imagine you have, you're always weighing like 10 or you know, 50 different ideas. You have like a criteria that you use to prioritize or weed out once that kind of be commercialized? I would, I would say there's a formal criteria, although that's a really interesting idea. I think at the end of the day, it is, it comes down to we're using half of our gut and half of our brain to decide which idea we should pursue or not. And, and we will do some preliminary testing for mm -hmm. sure. I think just looking at, for one example would be like, if you, you can look up Google search trends and you can see when things start to really hark, you know, they, they start to arc up really, really high. So like 2012, that was a big one for like, if you just typed in you know, doomsday, mm -hmm. that word got searched a lot more at the beginning of the year. And it was like, okay, I think this, I think our, our prediction about our prediction is going to be correct. Same right. thing for Amazon HQ, the Google trends sort of set it in, in place for that. So, so that'd be maybe the only metric, um, yeah. hard metric that I'd say we, we, we pick. Um, and then there's, there's one more, how about this? So we, we created this, um, Somehow things just fall in place too. There was this tiny house that we started uh, working on in 2010. It was called Blake's tiny house.com. And uh, what was amazing about that was instead of a Google trend looking at it is the tiny house movement was so popular in the, in the, in the late uh, in the early 2010s and the like the late two thousands, it was so popular that that website without us really even knowing how to do like all the metadata and all the other, other like backend SEO stuff, that website ended up getting, as soon as we launched it, like within the first 30 days, over a hundred visits a day, which is a lot for a tiny website and not pushing it. We got all right. kinds of media inquiries and stuff like that. So there's also this, the organic of what is the least, you know, how can you put yourself out there with the least money, the least effort, and just just to get an idea tested and see how the public responds to it, engage that response. That's that's great. Now you've been recognized, you know, with several awards over the years, including North Dakota, you know, State University Horizon Award in 2021. What do these accolades mean to you, and how have they impacted your career? Uh, the accolades for us should prove that we're. I think we're doing the right things. Um, that there's always room for improvement. And we do that every day at the firm. We have this meeting that we do and every employee at the firm has to present. And what it's called is a two second lean meeting. And so what they do is they present one idea or process that they've improved on that is F by a factor of at least two seconds. There's this book by Paul Akers called Two Second Lean that we read a couple of years ago. We've implemented that. Um, but what I think it does is it just it just proves that whatever we're doing fundamentally, whatever we've established that is the are the fundamentals to success, that we should we shouldn't lose track of those no matter how big the growth is. And then it, it just it just shows us that like yep keep keep doing what you're doing. Obviously keep proving in ways that you need to. Um, but it it just it just a sort of a proof in the pudding sort of sort of idea. How do you balance your, you know, your life and your work as a contractor with your other interests and personal life? Great question. I you what I some I was on a different podcast with somebody else the other day, and they 
they opened my eye. They, they gave me the idea that I should say this from now on instead of what I used to say. What I used to say is I used to say I make and I, I, uh, I schedule everything. So if you looked at my Google calendar, I am scheduling everything. I'm scheduling when we're going to church, when the kids have Sunday school class, when I'm going fishing with a friend. Then, you know, moving into the week, uh, I'm, I've scheduled, you know, I've got this podcast I'm on right now, my, my calendar and everything like that. But what they said and what I've, what I've started to say is I'm making an appointment for everything, even if it's an appointment for myself and my personal time. So yesterday from 2 to 5 p.m., I, 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 the day before, I put it in my calendar. And I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it unless it was in my calendar and it was an appointment for myself. And that was the title of that. The title of that event was from for three hours was garden, farm, and home. And my whole afternoon was I was working on my community garden, one of my, my nonprofit. I was working at the farm at home and I was working on my home projects and I got a, a lot of it done. So I make appointments for myself, professional and personal wise, and I take them seriously and I, and I keep, and I stay committed to them. Even if it's a, a date with my wife, that might sound a crazy anal to people who are listening, but I'm telling, and obviously I, I can flex stuff. I can move things around and I'm not going to have to be completely rigid with my own personal appointments. Like I could be 10 minutes late, right. To, to get to home Depot to do, to do the project, but at least I'm tracking to do it. It is a framework for and, and a system that allows you to be more flexible because then if you have that framework to work within and, and you try to be disciplined with your time, then, then, then you can be actually more free with your time for other people, because you can know exactly when you can fit them in, when you, when you can't, when you have to move things around. And the other big thing I, that I do that I don't do is I don't drink. Um, okay. that's, that's been a big factor in my life of, uh, I, I, I'm a go to, go to bed early eight, eight, between, you know, eight, eight or nine o'clock, mm-hmm. wake up super early, four or 5 a.m. And that golden, those golden hours in the morning where nobody's bugging me, the phone's not ringing, the emails aren't flying through from 5 a.m. to about 7 a.m. is the most productive time during the, during the whole week for me, including the weekends. Okay. I want to talk about the construction industry because I know we, we looked at your company and a uh, phenomenal company. We looked, you know, we did, we did a, an assessment of your company and uh, you're doing great uh, as far as when it comes to uh, value growth and the drivers you know, of that. One area that you seem to be doing really well is in customer satisfaction. What are some of the things that you do uh, to help generate uh, consistent customers as satisfied customers? We do a couple of things and, and I'll start with the most important thing. And this goes for anybody, I think. One of the things I tell, I, I, first I tell people if, 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 they're, if they're another service provider or a business that is, that is trying to get my business, is I, I need to make sure we we align together. So so finding the alignment with people that are going to work within the principles of your business when it comes to customer service is is number one. Then I then they start asking like, well, well, what is that for you? And I say, well, the the number one thing we need to do together is we need to be good communicators. We need to be rapid communicators. And so one of the principles of of our uh, firm, if, if you go to the F9productions.com website, there's F9 principles. One of them is, and one of them that we take most seriously is, is be a good communicator. So we have a hard and fast rule in both companies, the construction and the architecture firm. Of if a client um, or even somebody we're working with has a question or they need our attention and they've contacted us via email, text, phone call, whatever, 
it is our duty to get back with them within, within one hour, that same business day. If we can't do that, you at least want to touch base with them and say, got it. I can't get to it in detail. I will, I will be back with you within 24 hours, but no later than 24 hours. So we over communicate and we do it rapidly more than anybody else. Because what I tell other business owners and people who want to work with us, like let's say it's an electrician or something like that. As I go, I go, Hey, Mr. Electrician, first, I'm going to crap on myself here. Just so you know, this comment applies to everybody. Anybody can draw a building. Anybody can build a building. I do both of those things. The difference between us and the other guys is our rapid communication. That is number one. Not everybody picks up the phone. Not everybody gets back to people right away. And so I say, anybody can wire a building, Mr. Electrician. But what I need you to do, I need you to be in our level with customer service. And I think just that alone has led to the five-star reviews. We under, and then the second big thing is we under promise and we over deliver. We don't give people expectations with either company on when their projects are going to, going to be completed or a phase of them is going to be completed. Uh, we don't tell them a truth that they want to hear. In other words, we're not telling them white lies. I'm telling them the truth of, for instance, if they come to me and they say, um, you know, when do you think framing is going to be done? If they want to hear a week, I'm not going to, and that's not the truth. I'm going to tell them, I'm sorry, it's three weeks, pending weather, pending all other stuff. That's what we're looking at. And I, I really think they appreciate that honesty coupled with the communication factor. And that's what set us apart. Wonderful. What are some of the challenges with brand differentiation in the construction industry? Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a really great question. So it, it kind of goes back again to, like you're going to be comparing if you looked up us and three other competitors, well, we're all going to show buildings on our, on our website, right? Duh. Like every, like we're builders, you're contacting architects, same thing. We're all showing pretty buildings, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, there's two, two big ones. And I already talked about the communication one. So the second one that I'll talk about is uh, if it's clear to them what we do and how we do it, right? So the what is already out there because we're showing the buildings. What about the how? I'll give you a really good example on the architecture side of things for that. When we first started the firm, one of the ways we figured out how, how what we should charge and how, what our proposals we think should look like is, Alex and I are contrarians too, so we do things the opposite of what the crowd does. And obviously so far it's paid off. So we put out a fake ad in like 2010 on Craigslist and said, hey, we, we want to build a cabin. We need an architect. It's 2,000 square feet. Here's how many bedrooms. We got like 100 inquiries from potential architects. And we, so we, we, put, we put their fees into a spreadsheet. We figured out where we wanted to be. We wanted to be somewhere in the middle um, because we wanted to, we didn't want to, we wanted to try to get as many possible uh, potential clients at that time. But the, the critical part was the proposals. We were looking at all of these proposals from people. So how do you do it, right? Back to the, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. These, what was what dumbfounded me, and it, it kind of just was an epiphany, it just sort of came to me, was we read through all the proposals and was like, why are these architects describing what they're going to do for the client with writing when their final product is all drawing? Shouldn't there be more drawings in the proposal to explain to potential clients who have never worked with an architect before? And by the way, the AIA, the American Institute of Architects, even though they say they're going to tell the public and explain to the public what an architect does, they don't because I'm here to tell you I'm still having to do it. 
So what we did is we ended up coming up with this hybrid proposal that clearly explains to the clients. And I, I, I bring that, that proposal to the first meeting I have with them while we're walking through the house or walking the land, talking about what they want to build. We, I take a bunch of careful notes and then I end up presenting that proposal to them and showing them here's how our process works. It is clean, clear, and concise. And I don't think many architects are doing that. The same thing happens for uh, the, the, the big problem you're trying to solve from the construction side of things is there still is this idea in, out in the ether. And, and I think it's still justified by the public too of shady contractors. Like I don't trust this contractor. Like he's hiding numbers in, in everything he's doing. So we just said, well, we're going to do open book. We're going to give we're going to give the clients uh, access to a working spreadsheet that we update every time we add a new number to it or harden a number, get a hard bid and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then that spreadsheet is going to be in a Dropbox folder that the client will have access to at all times during their project. And they get right. to see every single bid. They get to see where every single cent goes. They know they know exactly what they're paying for, what they're not paying for, all of that stuff. So th those are, I think, the things that we have done to separate ourselves from the crowd for both firms. Now, the and I know we look going a little bit over, but I'm just I just wanted to pick your brain on this as far as uh, recurring revenue models. Just if you know you you were in single family, multi-family, and uh, small commercial projects. Now I can understand like you know multi-family typically apartments, people pay rent and all of that. But you were you in the I don't believe you handle the property management you just do the architecting and the, and the building mm -hmm. have you guys thought about you know ways in which you can generate recurring revenues to be able to ride out the booms and the busts like you know if there's another 2008 or even 2020 issue oh oh yeah definitely i mean th th that's a point i'd really like to emphasize thank you for that question when we started our firm i was laid off from bad business owners they were architects first, they were business owners second. And you got to be both at the same time. If you're if you're trying to not do the gut-wrenching, horrible thing of laying people off. Like if you look up the top 10 most traumatic things in life, divorce, losing a sibling, uh, losing a family member, laying people off, they're all up there, right? Like why mm -hmm. would you ever set yourself up for that? But those guys did. Same thing with the firm that Alex worked for. So <clears throat> we decided... The, we did a couple different things. The, 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 one of the biggest things is we said, instead of just having one leg to stand on, if, we, if we're using a stool as a metaphor here, instead of one leg for the stool, why don't we try to provide as many legs to stand on as if we can, that we can, so that if one leg falls off and gets broken during the next recession, because it's going to happen. We live in a Keynesian-led economy. It's boom and bust. The Fed just prints a bunch of money. They make the economy red hot. They contract the money, then then everything falls apart again. Like this is a cycle. It's called the Austrian business business cycle theory. It's real, and so uh, we focused on we're not we're going to do the opposite again, uh, opposite of what the other architects who did uh, laid us off with, and that was they are concentrating a very small segment of the client potential uh, out there. So like the firm that I was working with, they only did single family homes for very, very rich people. That was it. And so if that leg fell off, what happens? Lance gets laid off. Al, when he was working for the other firm, they only did giant master plans for cities. That was it. That leg falls off, Al got laid off. So we have concentrated on serving the 2%. 
the 2%. So low middle class to high, 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 high end, super rich multimillionaires and everything in between. We will do things as small as like a kitchen remodel all the way up to multi-million dollar uh, multifamily developments that you talked about. And then we created a couple different courses too. So you, everybody's probably seen my background here, you know, with our podcast, we, we are, um, we have monetized our podcast, we get paid to speak, we have advertisers, um, we've had multiple contracts from big corporations such as Dell, where like they've given us free equipment that have offset our business costs. And then we have a couple courses that we teach. Uh, so the first one is RevitRocketShip.com. That's where we came up with this beautiful template that's in uh, the CAD software that we use to produce our, our work. And it's a three-day course for anybody who's looking to transition their architecture firm from CAD to Revit. It's it, We've tested it many times at the university because Al still teaches that course and uses that system. So we get a revenue stream from that. That's just mailbox money. Um, we talk about it on our show. We talk about it on another podcast, talking about it here. Then we, after we became architect builders, we made a course that's called architectsguide2.com. Mm-hmm. And that teaches architects to take back the master role, master builder role that we've lost with everybody specializing in all the different trades to extend their revenue stream. This is this is this is one big critical point I think is like if you're an architect and you're designing a house, maybe you're really fast and you're doing it within three to six months. That revenue stream is gone after six months, right? You've completed the project. If your client, if you really like the client too, if your client is getting a bank loan for that. And by the time your six months is done with them and they've had that loan secured, the bank sets aside that money. Even if there's a financial crash, like after the money is set aside, it's still ready to go. What? Why not try to build it too? Then you extend your revenue stream for another 12 months. So those are some of the strategies that we've used to help us hopefully um, wade through this next recession. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, you know the uh, Inside the Firm podcast. So, what are the topics do you talk about? What is the targeted you know? Toward? Can you tell us a little bit more about the podcast? Or... Yeah, yeah. We started it in 2017, um, so that would have been you know seven years after we officially started. And I think we did it because at se- year seven, because it was like if everybody's heard the statistic, most businesses fail within that first seven years. So mm-hmm. we were like, we're still around. I don't think we're going to fail. We obviously have some success stories to tell people, and we're the type of people that believe putting out positivity in, into the ether, into the universe. I don't expect it to come back around, but eventually it does in, in, a, in a multitude of ways. It's just good to do good. So the podcast started out where we just did one show a week. It was the Friday episode, and we and for anybody listening, if they just go start at episode zero, we tell our whole story about how we started our firm in the great recession against all ads, all odds. We, we tell, there's all kinds of little secrets that we talk about uh, on, on air and tell people about, about how we, you know, got our first clients, how to deal with bad clients, how to fire those first employees, how to hire the right employees. It is, it is an inside the firm look at our firm. And then a couple of years ago, uh, we added the Monday show and the Monday show, it's called Monday morning coffee with inside the firm. And that's where I interview, um, entrepreneurs from around the world. I've had some pretty famous ones on there, like John McAfee, the late John McAfee of McAfee Software. He was on our show uh, a couple of times, um, vice president uh, candidate for, or, or the, yeah, the candidate for vice president um, for the Libertarian Party, Spike Cohen, uh, Scott Byers of the Urban Market Institute. 
et cetera, et cetera. I've had a lot, a lot of uh, really great people on there. And that's just a 30 minute interview where I'm talking with another business owner, another entrepreneur, somebody who is, is, is in the business industry. And I try to pick their brain um, about, you know, their tips and trips, their, their secrets. I also like to know their founding story because I really like the idea of spreading the positivity from a standpoint of like grit and determination rather than victimhood. How do you see the construction industry evolving in the next five to 10 years? And how does technology trends play a role in that? Yeah, uh, we're going to continue to see more automation. And I think that's a good thing because we have a huge shortage of people who can do the technical work. So you're going to see more robotic stuff happen in the field, for sure, I think. And one of my dreams is to see like a Roomba, but it is a vertical Roomba. Mm -hmm. And it can attach to a wall and it can do all the drywall work. That would be great. That person, that that Roomba is going to be much more reliable than the drywallers who get sick, get into an accident, have other jobs come up, can't keep time straight, get injured, all, all that kind of stuff. And then there's the 3D printing. Everybody I'm sure has seen, you know, wh where that's headed and that they're actually 3D, doing some 3D printing of houses down in Texas in this one development. Um, and then the third thing is AI. Uh, you're going to see AI come into play. And one of the things that I would, I don't know if it will happen, but it should happen. And if somebody's not working on it, I, if somebody has capital money and they want to invest and have me spearheaded, I'll do it. And that would be, can we get artificial intelligence to have an app where it replaces the planners? It replaces the building plans reviewers. Because all those people are doing is checking boxes. So why can't it read the drawings that we submit to the city to go get approved for a building permit? It checks the drawings. It tells us where there's code errors, if there are any. We correct the drawings. We send it back. And we're in and out in a couple of days rather than a couple months. Those are the things I think you're starting to see some of that happen. But that's where I would predict it's going to happen. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you know, your being generous with your time. How can people, you know, who want to get in contact with you or follow your work, uh, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to f9productions.com, sign up for our newsletter if you want to keep up with everything we're doing architecture and business wise, uh, architecture and construction wise. If you want to listen to our podcast, start at episode zero, just Google, uh, just look up uh, insidethefirmpodcast.com. If you want to connect with me, I will connect with anybody on LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com and then look up Lance, L-A-N-C-E, last name Psycho, C-A-Y-K-O. Wonderful. Well, thank you, everybody. This was a great episode. Um, you know, Make sure to subscribe and share it with other people. And until uh, next time, bye for now.